again, everyone. Sorry I didn't upload a message last week. I've been taking part of a seminar-type event recently, and this event, the main theme of it has primarily been about reaching lost people. And I listened to a workshop from this event that had to do with focusing on your own strengths. And I've kind of been thinking about both of those things, about reaching lost people and focusing on my own strengths. And it came to my mind that usually I feel most in my element, as it were, when I'm answering questions about the Bible. And so I've been thinking about how I incorporate answering Bible questions with my messages so that I can help all of you be able to reach lost people. And to me, it does seem like those two things are very closely connected and tied with one another because I've noticed, and I've talked to a few people about this, and they feel the same way, that when nowadays, when we try to share the gospel message or share Christianity or scripture or anything like that with people who are not believers in today's day and age, and uh, especially people in my generation and the upcoming generation, that when you try to share the Bible with them, that oftentimes they become argumentative. And it's not necessarily arguing like they're upset, but more that they just like to argue about it. And I know a lot of people say that young people don't know anything about the Bible, and they're completely biblically illiterate, but I don't think that's really the case, and that's not really been what I've witnessed. Um, I think it's actually something much worse, because if somebody was completely unliterate when it comes to Scripture, then they would be approaching it with an open mind. But what I see being the case is usually people have just enough knowledge of particular verses to either use for their own arguments or to make arguments against those verses. And so rather than understanding the full context of the Bible, they just know those few verses that they can use to have an argument with somebody about the Bible. And I'm sure many of them do this for kind of a gotcha moment where they want to show Christians how stupid they are, that they believe a book that says this, um... But that's not always the case. I think there are some people who are genuinely hung up by those verses, that they are things that they wrestle with and, and they can't really get past. And so that's why they always bring it up, because that's the point of contention for them. Um, so all this to say that being able to answer questions that people have about the Bible, I think really can move them closer to an understanding of who Jesus is and an acceptance of his message. And I was reminded of a conversation that I had with a friend of mine who was watching this video. And in this video, there was these people arguing with one another. And the topic turned to the conversation of, should the Bible be taken literally? Is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it allegorical? And really, there was two main sides to this argument. One side that was saying that 
it has to be literal, and it all has to be taken literally, otherwise none of it has any meaning. It's either literal or it's not. And the other side of the argument was kind of saying that the Bible is is really more of just a conduit for God to speak to you through. And and really the words that are in the Bible itself aren't as important as what God is trying to speak to you through it. And those were kind of the two main arguments, uh, kind of the two main uh, thoughts that were being addressed. And so my friend was asking me, which is it? Is it something that's taken literally or is it something that's just kind of a tool for God to speak to you through, and really wanted to know my thoughts as a pastor on whether or not the Bible should be taken literally. And the answer I gave him was that rather than saying the Bible should be taken literally, it's closer to say that it should all be taken seriously. And I went into kind of explaining why I gave that answer, and I, I kind of want to go into that explanation with all of you so that you can address that question when it's brought up to you by other people. When other people ask you, is the Bible literal or is it figurative? Is it allegorical? Well, what is it? Is the Bible meant to be taken literally? That you can say yes and no. Mostly, but not always, but primarily it's meant to be taken seriously. And so let me kind of walk through what I mean by that. So first of all, we know that there are parts of scripture that are not meant to be taken literally because they are meant to be taken as allegory. Uh, The best example is Jesus's parables. You know, I just finished this whole long series of going through the parables that Jesus would tell. And we can tell by how he's telling these parables and and what he's using them for that these are stories that Jesus is telling, not of real-life events that happened, but stories that are being used in order to convey a deeper message. So, for instance, with the parable of the prodigal son, we know that when Jesus says there was a man who had two sons— That he's not talking about a literal man who lived, who had two sons, and this is the story that happened to them. He's not not giving a historical account at that time. He is telling them an allegorical story. Let me tell you about this story with these characters in order to convey to you the message of God's forgiveness. And so we know that Jesus used those parables in scriptures of things that didn't literally happen in order to convey those messages. Now, just because there was not literally the man who had two sons and one left and came back begging for forgiveness, just because that didn't actually happen doesn't mean that that's not still a powerful piece of scripture that still contains an important lesson for us to learn from. And this shows the first example of what I mean when I say that not everything in the Bible is meant to be taken literally. We don't literally believe that there was 
that man who had the two sons, but we take it seriously, that we listen to the words that Jesus spoke and the message that he was trying to convey through it. And it's a tool that we continue to use today. A lot of children's books do the exact same thing, where we're not telling a historical story, right? It's a work of fiction, but it still conveys an important message, like the boy who cried wolf. We're not saying that there was literally this boy who cried wolf over and over and over again, and then when a wolf did appear that the people didn't listen to him, because whether or not that boy really lived isn't the point. The point is that when you continue to lie again and again and again, that people stop seeing you as trustworthy, and they stop listening to you even when there is something important that you are trying to share with them. See, the message is still important. It's still something that we need to take seriously and examine the story and contrast it with our life to see whether or not we are actually listening to the message that we are receiving. And so through the parables that Jesus tells, not only are we learning lessons from each of those individual parables as we've been doing through the last couple of weeks, but we are also being taught the importance of using stories as a way to teach people lessons. And again, this is something that we should be taking seriously when we read scripture. That we're not just writing it off as not as important because it didn't really happen, but realize that there is still an important message that we need to take seriously. Because just because it didn't actually happen doesn't make it any less significant. So then let's talk about things that did actually happen. Because the Bible is a very historical text and it shares history of real things that happened. But it's important for us to realize that just because the Bible is the good book, that not everything that everyone does in the Bible is good and meant to be followed. There's an old joke about a man that felt disconnected from God. And so he wanted to read scripture in order to see what it was that God was telling him to do. And so he kind of opened his Bible and flipped through some random pages and put his finger down on a spot. And it was Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, that said, Judas went out and hanged himself. And he went, well, I'm sure that's not what God is trying to tell me. Uh, I, I must have messed this up somehow, so, so let me try this again. And he does it again and goes to Luke 10, 37, which says, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And he said, oh, no, 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 this, this, this can't be right. Let me try one more time. And he does it one more time and ends up in John 13, 27, where Jesus says, what you are about to do, do quickly. Now, that's an old joke that's been told many times. But this joke highlights the importance of when we're reading scripture to not just take everything that we are reading and applying it to our lives directly. Because scripture records things that people did and things that happened regardless of whether or not it was in God's will. And so our purpose 
in having those historical records is to look at those things that have happened and to be able to identify whether or not that was a part of God's will and why it was or was not so that we can then apply that lesson to our life. But God didn't make a mistake by allowing bad decisions that people made to be kept in the Bible. Because those examples are given to us as a warning to avoid. So not only does God give us good examples that we are to follow and emulate in our own life, but he also allows us to see the bad examples as well. So that we can look at someone like Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And in his mind, he wasn't betraying Jesus. This was someone who was a follower of Jesus, and he believed that Jesus was going to be the next king, not realizing that Jesus was meant to be king over more than just Jerusalem, that he was meant to be king over the hearts of all people. But Judas didn't understand that, and even as a follower of Jesus, he misunderstood what Jesus' message was and what Jesus' goal was. And in his attempt to kind of speed this process up of making Jesus king, he found that he had actually betrayed Jesus. That he allowed his perceptions of who Jesus was meant to be to cloud his judgment And he made a tremendous mistake. And that from that mistake, he fell into despair and took his own life. And that is meant to be a warning to us. To make sure that we don't do what Judas did. That we aren't misunderstanding what God's purposes are and acting in ways that run contradictory to the will of God, all the while calling ourselves followers of Christ. That we need to make sure that we understand exactly what God's will is and how God is directing us, and making sure that we're getting it right. That's part of what I'm talking about today. That we aren't just taking everything we read at scripture and think, well, this, this applies directly to my life. Sometimes that's the case. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes it's a story and not something that historically happened. Sometimes it's something that historically happened, but it's not a good example to follow. But it's still an example that we can take seriously and learn from. And God can still speak to us through that example. We can learn just as much from Judas's bad example as we can learn from the fiery furnace story in Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow their knee to King Nebuchadnezzar because they would only bow before God. And even when they were thrown into the fiery furnace by that king, that God protected them and they were not harmed because they recognized that only God was king, and they would not kneel 
to any man. Just as much as we can learn from the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we can learn from the example of Judas. Even though one's a good example and one's a bad example, both of those historical examples have lessons to teach us that we should take seriously. And Scripture does an excellent job of showing us both of those sides. It shows us both the blessings that come from faith in Christ, and it also shows us the destructive results of sin. And those are things that we should take seriously. It's not just looking at the example at face value and saying, well, this is in the Bible, so it must be something that I should follow because I want to take the word of God literally. You can take it literally as that was a historical event that actually happened. But take it seriously in understanding that just because someone did that doesn't mean that that's what God has for you to do. We have to look beyond the surface and really look at the reasons why people did these things. What was the purpose behind these actions? And was that purpose of godly origin? Or was it of evil or human origin? But being able to understand not only the actions that took place or the stories that were being told, but to also understand the motivations and attitudes and purposes behind those actions and those stories. When we can look beyond just that immediate and understand the deep underlying current beneath it, it gives us a clearer understanding of the will of God. And this applies to all parts of Scripture, including parts where instruction is being given to people. And I know that most believers understand this concept because there is an instruction given in Scripture where no matter how many churches I've walked into, I have never had any believer in any of those churches following this instruction to the letter. And that is the instruction to greet one another with a holy kiss. No matter how many churches I've gone to, I have never been greeted by a kiss from a stranger. Ever. And yet that is something that is in the Bible. That is an instruction that is given. And it's not only given once. It's found in Romans chapter 16, verse 16. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Three different times that the instruction to greet one another with a holy kiss is given, and yet it doesn't happen. And if that's not enough for you, it's also in 1 Thessalonians 5.26, just slightly differently, where it says to greet all God's people with a holy kiss. So why don't we do that? If that's an instruction that Scripture gives, why is it not being taken literally? Because we understand that in that instruction, 
It is not the action that is significant. It is the underlying purpose beneath it. That the instruction was being given to greet one another as warmly and friendly as possible. To treat each other like family. To welcome all of your brothers and sisters in Christ as if they were your family. And to greet one another in that way, with that attitude, with that kind of approach. And we still do our best to emulate that underlying question of why do we do this action? The importance is found in the purpose, not in the action. So again... When we're left with the question, do we take the Bible literally? Most of it, yes. We believe that when it says Jesus died on the cross, that he literally died on the cross. We realize when it says that Judas went out and hanged himself, that it literally means Judas went out and hanged himself. But we also recognize that when Jesus says there was a man who had two sons, that what he's doing is telling a story to teach a lesson. And we understand that when scripture says greet one another with a holy kiss, that it's saying greet one another as friendly and welcoming and inviting as possible Make them feel like family. And that it's the purpose that's important, not the action. We need to understand both what Scripture says and also why it says it. And the deeper we dig into that, the clearer the will of God becomes to us. It's not just taking things at surface value. Now, I'm not saying to read your own opinions into Scripture or to somehow bend everything in Scripture around what you believe. I'm saying dig further into it. Take it seriously. And that's why when I was asked the question, and why I encourage you, if someone asks you the question, should the Bible be taken literally? To answer it, it should be taken seriously. All of it. None of it is in there by mistake. And there is something to be learned through all of it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Saying that there are parts of scripture that shouldn't be taken literally isn't saying that it's a lie isn't saying that it's any less important 
than any other part of Scripture? Because we still recognize that every word, every letter, every verse in the Bible has purpose. It is there for a reason, and it should be taken seriously. Whether it's giving an account of something that happened, whether good or bad, or whether it's a parable being told to teach us a lesson, it is all God-breathed. God designed it exactly the way that he wanted it to be. And it needs to be taken seriously. And so I hope that that helps you as you are going out and trying to share the gospel message with others, as you're trying to share the wonderful work that Jesus did on the cross for all people with people who don't know him, that when they begin to get argumentative, to not just shrug off their arguments and their questions, but to be able to answer them as best as you can. And if you don't know the answer, find someone who does. Find those answers. Because they're always there. And so I hope that out of this time that we've spent together, that you feel equipped that when somebody asks you, should the Bible be taken literally, that you are able to tell them, I understand that not everything in the Bible is meant to be taken literally, but all of it is meant to be taken with the utmost seriousness possible. And to not only say that, but to understand why that is the answer. And so I hope this has been helpful to you. And if you have any other comments for me or questions that you would like me to answer, or maybe questions that other people have asked you that you don't know the answer to, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me either on the Facebook page, Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com, and I would love to help you find those answers. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people, to help equip them to answer this question. Or maybe somebody who has asked you this question before, that you can send this to them so that they can find the answer that they're looking for and hopefully bring them closer to Christ. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. And it's my prayer that God will bless you as you go throughout your day and open up opportunities for you to share who he is with all people. Music